And I'm Taylor. Welcome to the Happy Hour Film Club, the podcast where we talk about movies over cocktails. And our theme today is London crime. Ooh. As per usual, we do try to avoid major spoilers, but sometimes they happen. We discuss the films, but we also try really hard to talk about them in a way that's both entertaining and still leaves you wanting to watch. Hello and welcome. Today we are talking crime, but with an accent. Mm-hmm. Specifically, London. Accents. <laughs> Which, London, similar to, like, New York City, mm-hmm. has different pockets of accents. So, like, New York City, I think we're pretty familiar with, like, oh, Brooklyn or Queens or the Bronx and Manhattan. Like, they all kind of have these, like, micro-dialects, and London's the same way. Yeah, and we end up with a lot of West End for our movie picks at at least. Like, we get a lot of West End in London, and we've got some pretty thick, um, I think when you think, it's, like, less polished, I guess. I don't know how you would say it. It's not, like, the Queen's speech. It's not posh. Yeah. It's very kind of cockney, hackney. I was gonna say cockney, but where's, do you know where cockney is? I'm not really sure. I know it's, at least when we were talking about West End, it's kind of like more, that's the equivalent to the Bronx, if I were to compare apples to croissants. Yeah, so cockney is the accent spoken in the East End of London, so, which is where the, so my movie is about the Cray twins, who are gangsters in the 60s, and they are from the East End. From East End, So they, okay. I think, would technically be considered Cockney. And then Michael Caine, the actor, famously has, like, this Cockney accent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so that's East End London. As opposed to West End, which is where, like... The the- like that's like their theater district. Oh, uh, okay. I I think I was mixing the two up. I think I was thinking, yeah, that the East End and West End were flip flopped. Mm-hmm. But yeah, in London, the West End is famously like their Broadway district area, kind of. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, which fits into my movie pick. Yeah. So then we're looking at the West End and the East End. That's fun. I love that we're set in two different kind of areas yeah and then there's south london and i guess if you're from south london you have a totally different accent so it's i mean it's a huge place oh for sure yeah i think a lot of history right when we were talking about doing london crime i thought hmm there's a lot to choose from because my mind immediately went to um like league of extraordinary gentlemen which i think the movie takes place in London and a lot of other places mm. too. But then you also have, you know, gangster crime or you have, um, yeah, historical crime, which I guess gangster fits into that. But you could even go back to more of a Regency era if you wanted to. So there's a lot of, yeah, there's so much more material there than what we would have, let's say, if you did like a, a New York crime film, just because. It's been around so much longer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and with London, or like with our theme, I really thought Guy Ritchie was the first one to come to mind because he's famously like um, lock, stock, and two smoking barrels, and 
like Rock and Rolla and like I mean so many of his films are set in London and are very like gangster or crime and even uh, Sherlock Holmes like he mm. did the Jude Law and Robert Downey Jr. Sherlock Holmes Guy Ritchie directed those and it's set in the past but it's very much in London and it very much centers around like crime and criminals and like detective stories well and that's another thing that we had talked about when we were thinking of this theme something you pointed out is even like Enola Holmes Mm -hmm. would fit into this category which is very different than a the movies we chose to go with but also it's kind of a family-friendly crime like a Mr. Bean or a Black Panther or not Black Panther what am I saying um Pink Panther? Pink Panther. (laughs) (laughs) Totally different panther. (laughs) Different kind of panther. Different agendas. Oh my gosh, I can't believe I said that. Um, (laughs) With the Pink Panther. I'm like, that's Wakanda, not London. (laughs) Yes, okay, I got it, Taylor, I got it. I'm I'm settled now, I know what I'm talking about, barely. Um, But yeah, within this, like, theme, or it's because it's not really a genre, but within this theme you know, you can really encompass so many different kinds of film mm-hmm. within it, you know. So we've got crime, but it could be a mystery, or it could be historical, or it could be kind of a fun fictional tale with, you know, a young woman who is solving crime. Yeah, and... Or beating crime, not solving crime. I don't know, is that how you say it? Solving... Yeah, solving, solving crimes. Solving crimes? yeah. I don't know why that sounds weird because to me it's like a crime is is a crime the same as a mystery if you don't know who did it it is okay but if then, you're trying to solve like a like an unsolved case that's in, like why wouldn't you say solving mysteries why would you say solving crimes instead what's the difference <laughs> not all mysteries are illegal <laughs> Oh, I guess that's true. Mysteries don't inherently break the law. They should. It's like... (laughs) I don't like surprises. I don't like mysteries. I do like mysteries, but... But I do like how, you know, the theme that we've chosen can either go fantastical, theatrical, or be very much set in reality. Mm. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I love that you mentioned um, The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Yeah. Because... There you go. Isn't that a graphic novel? I think it is. Yeah. yeah. Which, you know, I have not I have not seen the film in a very long time, but I remember really liking it when it came out. Mm-hmm. It got very poor reviews. So it did. I'm going to say that my child brain was not... Uh... <laughs> I think it's a really underrated film, that and... Um... Uh, Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow. They like came out around the same time and they're both kind of like comic book based stories. Mm-hmm. And they didn't really perform well in the back box office. Interesting. But I think they're both pretty underrated. Yeah. I f- well, comic books or film adaptations, especially of um, graphic novels, kind of goes through phases also. Mm-hmm. You know, like you look at Sin City or you look at. Um, the Watchmen, mm-hmm. I think those performed really well. But then, yeah, I think like Electra. I remember when that came out, that didn't do super well in the box office either. But I really liked it. So yeah, I feel like it just kind of it has its peak 
And then it kind of falls off a little bit, depending. Oh, yeah. There's definitely hits and misses. Mm -hmm. But um, what movie did you go with, Riley? Okay, so I picked one that I've never seen before. It came out in 2022. It's called See How They Run. It is a, um, it's a whodunit. So kind of a fun mystery and crime solving pick. Yeah. Yeah. What did you do? So I chose Legend. Um, it's a 2015 movie. Old. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's like a year after I graduated high school, so that actually makes <laughs> me feel old. But <laughs> I had never seen Legend before. You had chosen it. Have you? Had you seen it when no, you picked it? No, I, I have oh. not seen it. So actually, both of these films were films I'd never seen before. Uh, but Legend. Um, was on my watch list mainly because of Tom Hardy. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, and his, it's kind of like an interesting acting feat that he does. In oh it. yeah. So uh, yeah, I'm excited to talk about it. Yeah, me too. But first, let's grab some drinks. So Nick has joined us with drinks. Hi, Nick. Hello. Uh, so I'm very sorry, guys. I don't have cocktails this week. I have mocktails. Yay. I know. <laughs> I'm so sorry. So, so Taylor and I decided to do Dry January this year. So we're going to do mocktails for January. They're bringing me on this ride with them, people. And unfortunately, Riley has to come along because I make the drinks. But to be fair... <laughs> Taylor's already getting ahead of me on the drink. Uh, you can absolutely put alcohol in any drink that we are going to do for mocktails. Uh, so today, I made y'all a citrus fizz. Oh, okay. Mm. And uh, so... I like a fizz? Yeah, I wanted to find mocktails that weren't just like... like they're, So there's mocktails out right now... <laughs> Ooh, that's tart. Yeah, it's very tart. Oh my gosh, it's like it's like it's like uh, making me like pucker. I was really hoping the egg white. My jaw is clenching. I was really hoping the egg white would mellow it out for y'all, but it it doesn't seem like it did. But we can fix it. Uh, So, so I wanted to find mocktails that weren't just like. Like virgin pina coladas, or just like dump, you know, really just like here's a glass of like lemonade and like just like tons of sugar, yeah, just over the top sugar, or just like it's basically the drink without you know alcohol in it, or a Shirley Temple, which nothing wrong with Shirley Temple, it's great, but it's just I grew up on Shirley Temple, it's just a very classic like mocktail. And, you know, if you ever want to make it, it's just some grenadine and some Sprite. That's that's really it. A Shirley Temple? And, and a then, cherry. And then a cherry. I was going to say, I'm pretty sure then, you for, forgot the key element in that, which is a cherry. Well, that's fair. And then uh, <laughs> you can, I think you can throw in some lime juice in there as well. So it's it's a very simple drink. It's how I was just trying to find something else. And I stumbled upon the Citrus Fizz. Mm-hmm. And in theory, it sounded great, but from both of your reactions, and to be fair, my reaction, um, 
when I tested this out. It's very tart. Like, it's very, like, citrusy. It's got orange juice and lemon-lime juice and uh, some grenadine in there. Mm -hmm. So I think if I made this again, I probably wouldn't do fresh orange juice. I'd probably go get, like... In the, in the carton orange Tropicana juice. or something? Yeah, just to give it some extra sugar and, like, mm. mellow out the tartness. So how do you make it? I'm curious to then comment on the, yeah, the drink itself. Yeah, so the so the ingredients are it's uh, two ounces of orange juice, two ounces of lemon juice, an ounce of lime juice, um, half an ounce of grenadine, and then you are supposed to put, uh, so egg white in there, um... This recipe also said you could use a whole egg, which I felt kind of uncomfortable doing. I'm just putting a whole egg in there. A whole egg. Yeah, they were like, yeah, go for it. Like, the egg gives it a lot of flavor and depth. And I was just like, I'll go egg white. We'll start there. Um, and then uh, you top it off with some sparkling water. And yeah. Okay, yeah. A, I never want a full egg in a drink. That's <laughs> no. just as a disclaimer. I feel like that's... A recipe for a disaster and lots of gagging. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I think the coloration is really pretty. It's this nice foggy pink color. Yeah. Like it looks, um, yeah, like a nice thick kind of grapefruit style, which it does taste, yeah, pretty grapefruity it with can, the tartness. It kind of tastes like a grapefruit. It doesn't taste like anything else other than grapefruit juice. Yeah, it tastes strongly like a grapefruit honestly i'm getting a lot of lime can i try juice. With i think that's what's coming okay. through the most for me is that lime juice because it's i feel like lime juice has a little bit of almost a metallic taste is that do you agree with that has like a, a little bit of a a sheen <laughs> i don't know if i get what right you're word. saying there's, you know, there's like, that punch of, mm-hmm. I get, yeah, I get a lot of lime juice, too. It tastes like a mouthful of, like, Sour Patch Kids. Like, <laughs> That's liquid, fair. liquid Sour Patch Kids. Um, and I don't like sour things. Like, I can't, I can't eat sour candy. We'll fix yours. Even the thought of sour things automatically makes me have that like mouth sensation of eating something sour Mm. like even just the thought of it Mm -hmm. um so i don't do i don't do sour things and this is very this is like extremely sour and so the the way to combat that um, i'm gonna put like a sugar cube in it yeah no 100 (laughs) percent. the best way to combat tartness so if you ever have a drink that's too tart just add some sugar to it until it's like balanced out Mm -hmm. same thing with like acid if it's like just too acidic Or too spicy. Yeah, bring some. Like sugar. if a chili is too spicy, you can drop yeah. a sugar cube in it. Just drop a little bit of sugar. Oh in yeah, it. I've done cut, that before. Yeah, and that'll cut the acidity down too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it just, just tastes like a glass of citric acid. It really does. Yeah. Yeah, I will say it's got it. It's almost like immediate heartburn for me. Also, <laughs> it's pretty um, acidic when it goes down. It's the thing is, it doesn't taste bad. Like I like no. a nice tart drink especially like yeah any kind of cocktail that's got some fresh juice in there i like the citrus i like a lime juice a lemon juice so it's it's really good i also think typically when i've had a fizz i feel like it's a little more punchy on the carbonation Mm -hmm. and i wonder if a i bet because there's so much acid in there it probably kind of like overwhelms that but if it had a little bit more of that um, 
carbonation mm-hmm. and some rum. Mm-hmm. I think that would <laughs> oh totally totally I think probably al- balance it out. I think well. alcohol, like I think a rum or a gin, would be really mm-hmm. good with this, and it would kill a lot of that acidity mm-hmm. straight out of the gate. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, yeah. I agree. Yeah, because there's really like I was expecting more fizziness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I I was too. I was. I mean, to be fair, I was a little disappointed with how this turned out, but. Aww. I think, you know, there it could be improved. And normally I try to test this out either the day before or, like, at least have, like, an hour or two to test out. And we just didn't have time. But, yeah, it would be one of those. Probably add a little bit more sugar to it. And honestly, probably even cut back on, like, the lemon juice. Yeah, you said, was it two ounces it was two of ounces. lemon? That's yeah. A, that's a heavy pour. That's a lot. And lime. And one well, ounce of one lime. One ounce of lime. That's three ounces. Yeah, yeah. Like three ounces of citrus. Yeah. I think you could even, yeah, you could probably do one of each or maybe just one of a lemon or a lime in there. You know what this makes me think of, though, is a really good um, combination for, like, a pitcher of some kind. Like, if you're having a party, doing kind of, like, a, a pitcher drink. And have, like fruit slices in uh-huh. it, like floating in it, yeah. Yeah, this would be so good as, like, a big, if you, because oh, especially yeah. if you're going to sweeten it up, like, if you're just going to skip doing <clears throat> the fresh squeezed orange juice, which we always say, you know, fresh is better, mm-hmm. doing any any kind of juice that you're using, you're going to want to squeeze it yourself. But also understanding <laughs> if you're having a party, you don't want to squeeze out enough orange juice for 20 people. If you just use some Tropicana, this is such a good balance of flavor i think that would be really yummy as like a as a party punch kind of thing this is one of the few times i would probably recommend like store-bought like carton orange juice over like fresh squeeze mm-hmm. in this one i wonder too i mean if you you said like drop a sh- sugar cube in mm-hmm. but alternatively putting in simple syrup right like you yeah. could do mm-hmm. i don't know how much would you put in there nick would you say I would probably go a quarter ounce mm-hmm. at a time until you get to your desired sweetness. Right. Because some people like it a little bit more tart, maybe want to mellow it down, but some people like it sweeter. Yeah, I was thinking like a half ounce for me would yeah. probably be Yeah. just about yeah. right. And that's so easy to make on your own, too. Like, I, I'm astounded at how simple simple syrup is to make <laughs> it's true and if you don't have simple syrup like in this case since we did like a grenadine uh or a pomegranate juice like you can just add more of that because that's very sugar based mm. and so you can kind of mellow it out with oh so, with you, the didn't pomegranate even, juice. so you didn't even use grenadine you just used pomegranate juice you're supposed to use grenadine <laughs> Ooh, you but, lie! But I used pomegranate. Juice. Yeah, that so that matters okay. too because the grenadine is like a syrup, like it's like a thick, yes. sugary syrup. Well, pomegranate juice is just adding to that tartness. Or was it concentrate? It's concentrate, but it's it's very like sugary concentrate. The pomegranate. So, yeah, so grenadine is pomegranate syrup with like orange blossom flower. And then, like, one other ingredient. I can't remember it off the top of my head. But it's essentially, like, you can take pomegranate juice. And I know someone's going to, like, correct me in the comments. But you can take some pomegranate juice, add some sugar, and you can kind of create, like, a like an offshoot of grenadine. Like poor man's grenadine. Kind of. And mm. and we have orange bitters. We don't have like orange blossom flower extract and 
Uh, so oh, you don't have that on on hand? No, no, that's that's not that hard because uh, you have to find like pomegranate molasses. That's mm. like part of grenadine. And it's so not it's with like, your eye of newt and the no, cabinet. Exactly. No, <laughs> no. You, you can go to apparently like Asian supermarkets would have that stuff. So I'm curious to try to find one mm. at some point. But uh, yeah, like obviously like grenadine is a little sweeter. Um, it depends on what kind of grenadine you buy. Mm-hmm. So I just get very like sugary, like pomegranate juice. So. Hmm. I actually had no idea that that was that grenadine was pomegranate. It's like a million times better to make your own grenadine than to buy the bottle at the grocery store. Yeah, I. I it's easier. <laughs> I mean, it's definitely easier to buy it at the grocery store. I have no but... shade to buying your own grenadine. I think it's fine. No, there's nothing wrong with it, but it's 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 like the difference between like squeezing your juice versus like buying like a bottle of concentrated juice Mm. like Mm. it's gonna get you through it but like when you do the fresh squeeze it's significantly better well if you're fancy (laughs) and you want to make your own grenadine (laughs) you tell us how that goes for you because i'm gonna say that none of us here maybe nick maybe you'll try it out but i he's made it before i've made it before oh really yeah it wasn't very thick it was very like liquidy but even the the grenadine at the store isn't very thick it's liquidy Mm. so (laughs) if you would like to make your own citrus fizz we will put the ingredients in the description for the episode and on social media so be sure to check that out um we might do a bit of a correction for this just in case you like it a little tartar or a little sweeter so we might have some variations for you mm-hmm. in there as well so yeah yeah you can put out. some liquor suggestions on there too if you're doing not dry january um <laughs> but yeah no i'm glad you were able to make such a cool unique drink for a uh, for a mocktail, anyway. Yeah, besides, yeah. you know, beyond, like, a Shirley Temple, like you were saying. It's well, just got a lot more to it than that, which is fun. Well, and now that they have, like, alternative, like, non-alcoholic, like, alternatives for Al- things. Alternative liquor. Alternative liquor. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I don't remember, like, the exact name of it, but it's basically, like, you know, 0.1% ABV mm. substitutes for mm-hmm. things like gin and vodka and rum and tequila and stuff like that and whiskeys i mean i i I, from what i've heard they're not the greatest tasting things but like they can get you by for a cocktail or something like that well neither is vodka so we're really (laughs) where's the bar (laughs) yes it's true um but i didn't want to try any of those i wanted to because i think they're like 40 50 dollars a bottle Oh, wow. Yeah, they're oh, very expensive. Because it's new. It's kind of like a substitute. Oh. It's like you're distilling out the alcohol, basically. It's like wow. you're going through the process, but you're mm. getting rid of the alcohol. Well, those non-alcoholic beers, too, are really expensive. Like, I, at a, a local bar, they carry some, I feel like it's maybe Upland. That sounds right. Brewery that maybe has, or maybe it's something else. But they're really yummy tasting beers. It'll be like an oatmeal stout or something like that. So it's nice and creamy, but it's still expensive to buy it. And so in my mind, I'm like, I would just get a Coke, you know, or or a soda of some sort. It just seems like if I feel the same way about buying decaf coffee, though. 
you know, it's just not giving me what I'm <laughs> requiring of it. <laughs> so if you want to make it, it'll be in the description for the episode. And, uh, yeah, try it out. Like, see what you think. Tell us what you think about it. We'd mm-hmm. love to know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, enjoy. Cheers. Cheers. Yeah, cheers. Okay, so for my movie, I picked a classic whodunit set in 1950s West End of London. The 2022 film stars Sam Rockwell as our inspector and Saoirse Ronan as our reliable constable on the case. So the movie I picked was See How They Run, as we mentioned earlier, and this whole story is centered around the performance of Dame Agatha Christie's new hit play, The Mousetrap a murder mystery that attempts to solve a murder that takes place in a quiet, remote cottage home in the middle of a brutal winter storm. So the story of the mousetrap, unbeknownst to its cast, isn't the only story of murder that the theater will be privy to. Dum, dum, dum. (laughs) So a little bit about the mousetrap. So it's based kind of in this home during this winter storm. There's all these people. So your whole cast is like in the house the entire time that the murder mystery or the mystery is being solved. This investigator comes, he's part of it, but there's a murderer on the loose is kind of what happens. So there's another murder that these people hear about and then the murderer, whoever this may be, ends up showing up at the house. So that's kind of the crux of the whole play. So, after the play's 100th performance in the film, the cast and stakeholders celebrate with an after-party that quickly goes awry. The American director brought in to help with the screen adaptation of the play is truly a dog and unliked by pretty much everyone. His name is Leo Kopernik, played by Adrian Brody, and he is about to be very, very dead. But... When everybody hates you, the suspect list is long. After Copernic makes a pass at our play's lead, Sheila Sim, played by Pearl Shonda, I think that's how you pronounce, or Chanda, I'm not sure. Her husband, Richard Attenborough, played by Harris Dickinson, also a main cast member in the play, starts a fight, which he unfortunately loses, when Copernic throws them both into a towering cake meant to celebrate the play's success. Covered in icing, Kopernik makes his way back to the costumes backstage to find something to wear. But Kopernik wouldn't be leaving the room alive. Found bloody and sitting in the middle of the stage, Kopernik's lifeless body greeted the cast and crew of the play. Enter Inspector Stoppard and Constable Stalker, which I think it's funny that her last name is Stalker. Yeah. I just, I know it's like, all a lot of the characters are either based on other like murder mystery stories like Mm. characters in them and Mm. some of them are based off of other ties to like agatha christie's novels as well so there there are a lot of easter eggs in there if you're a big agatha christie fan you may pick up on some of that i read through a lot of it and i had absolutely no idea i didn't feel like i missed anything by not knowing that but it was kind of a fun tie-in to all of those different characters. So the constable and the inspector begin questioning our players, producers, and staff of the theater, each one seeming like a likely suspect, honestly. So we're told pretty much exactly how this whole play is going to pan out without 
giving away the details. The whole story is very expositional. Mm -hmm. Our director does a lot of, uh, or sorry, Copernick's character does a lot of narration and uh, has a lot of exponential, uh, expositional dialogue talking about whodunits. He's like, these are super cliche. There are all these tropes. This is why it's ridiculous. And he even writes a new ending to the play that he storyboards out and kind of flips through. And the playwrights are like, this is ridiculous. No one's going to like this. You can't you can't do this. Like, everybody is going to think this is stupid, and it doesn't make any sense. So he's got these wild, kind of fantastical Hollywood idea- ideas, too. It's it's more like explosions and fire and this thing and that thing. And they're like, well, we're performing this on a stage, and it's a whodunit. It's not like a, you know, a rat race or something. Very different kind of storytelling. So it's kind of fun, too. As you go through the story, you see the the parallels between the mousetrap and mm. the mystery that you're solving surrounding the mousetrap. Like, it's all tied in together. There are all these um, paralleling tropes, if you will, in the two whodunit stories that you're watching at the same time. Mm-hmm. So there are a couple things that stood out to me. I don't want to take you through much more of the film just because it's a mystery. I don't want to give too much away. But there are some really fun whodunit tropes that I was kind of reading about and I was like, yeah, this is this shows up in this film and every other whodunit I have ever seen. So a couple of good movies to think about too if you haven't seen this are Glass Onion or Knives Out. Mm-hmm. They're also whodunit films that are m- more recent, so you can kind of follow along with the same ideas. So, a mysterious injury. So typically, you'll have a like a a member of your suspect list who is injured, and you're like, "Ooh, what happened there?" And they seem like they're trying to lie or cover it up. So that'll pop up. You have the keen detective. So the person who's like really gung ho about solving the case, and then. Or kind of like a rookie. Right, or yeah. a rookie. And I was going to say, in this one, it's not the inspector that's the keen investigator. It's Saoirse Ronan's character, which I, I love her in this. I thought she was a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of the character that she plays throughout this. The absent murderer, which I thought this was a good point. You know, the person who, who, who done it typically is not on screen for major plot points. They tend to be behind the scenes a little bit. So it's kind of a right under your nose, but maybe not also. Um, The lights off is something that happens often in these films. So like all the lights go out, something happens, either somebody goes missing or there's a murder. Oftentimes the murder takes place when the lights go off. Mm -hmm. If you've seen Glass Onion, that happens too. Mm -hmm. I love a lights off because you're like... It's panic, right? Yeah. Like, if you've ever been in your house and suddenly, like, your power goes out and it's dark, oh, it's so freaky. And it's usually, like, a really kind of artistic part of the movie because, mm-hmm. obviously, you need a lot of light to produce film. Mm-hmm. You know, cameras require light to work, typically. And uh, <laughs> so I like how whenever the lights go off and these kind of whodunit movies it's usually like a very artistic way of like 
showing that. You might have, like, strobing or flashing, or it's just silent and all you have is audio, which mm-hmm. is, like, a unique experience. Kind of immersive, mm-hmm. too, you know, because you're, yeah, obviously your uh, senses are inhibited, mm-hmm. so you have to rely on one thing. And so the sound design, I think, is one that gets really... I like it, the footsteps. You always have, like, a dun-dun-dun-dun-dun, you know, somebody yeah. walking. It's so good. Um, so usually we also arrest somebody prematurely. So there's almost always, like, a finger pointing in the wrong direction, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and especially in this case, everyone is guilty. So here the director gets murdered, but everybody hates this guy. So it's like, yeah, I mean, everybody has probable cause here, but makes sense Mm -hmm. um and he's the guy we all hate which is another one a lot of times your murder victim is not a likable character you already dislike them which kind of plays into one another um also you know what i really enjoy about this movie is yeah it's all in plain sight so that's like another trope so you you're kind of trying to put the puzzle pieces together as you're going through And it's all laid out for you, but you don't really see it. And I think movies, too, make this especially difficult because, like, when I was watching a glass, or not a glass onion, glass onion, there were lots of things that you missed because you weren't shown it. And so you couldn't put the pieces together. I think this is very different. Mm -hmm. They show you all the pieces. You could put it together. But you, you don't know until you know. Yeah. So then when you go back and watch it a second time, you're like, ah, oh, there it is. I missed that. And I really like that part of it, too. Um, oftentimes, there's a second murder. Usually, it's not just the one. There's always, in especially Agatha Christie um, novels, play adaptations, there's always a big manner involved, like a stately manner, and that happens in this film, it happens in The Mousetrap. They actually go to Agatha Christie's home in this, and so that is the stately manner, which I love having an Agatha Christie character. That was really fun. It was a good reveal, too. Mm-hmm. Um And speaking of reveals, typically there's a grand reveal that happens in front of all of your characters and usually all of your suspects, too. Mm -hmm. So those are some of the things that you can expect to see in this movie that you've probably seen in other films. But they're super fun, and I don't even think about it as I'm watching. It's not like, oh, yeah, there's the second murder. They finally got to it, you know? It's just kind of like what you subconsciously expect maybe so the mousetrap um is a real murder mystery play like it was written by dame agatha christie and it is the longest running play in the world currently which i think is wild like i just what a legacy to leave behind and the fact that you know sure this wasn't the movie wasn't about the mousetrap or wasn't based on the mousetrap, but it was clearly adjacent to and had so many themes pulled from it and Agatha Christie. So, yeah, just kind of awesome. Um, I've actually, I've seen the mousetrap in London. Get um, out. Yeah. What? Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a good play. It's definitely worth, worth going to see. Mm-hmm. It's, um, and I think it's unique in that, yeah, it's been running for so long. Yeah. It's yeah. like a staple. Right. I feel like it's a... I mean, it's similar to a Romeo and Juliet, maybe, in that you're 
so you're familiar with the idea of it and what it is. Like, I knew that the mousetrap was a murder mystery. I didn't know everything about it. But you just hear enough about it. And especially if you're um, in theater as a kid in high school, like, these are some of the staples that you'll know about, too. That is so cool. I love that you saw it in London. So what's funny, too, I think about the mousetrap, you know, in the actual play that they perform on stage they have the detective that's a part of the whole thing kind of exposition they do the big reveal and all that but in the actual play it's the killer that does the dialogue and like the reveal at the end Mm -hmm. so I thought it was interesting that they chose to change some of the play too even though the movie relied so heavily on the play yeah so I I wasn't sure what the reasoning for that was but I thought it was kind of just an interesting choice. Mm-hmm. But so you've seen the mousetrap. So that's a really interesting perspective. So but you haven't seen this movie. Right. So what did you think about it altogether? I loved it. I thought it was so much fun. Um, I as soon I had no idea, never heard of it, you know, I'm like see how they run. I get it up on the TV. I instantly see Adrian Brody's in it and Sam Rockwell, and I, I love them. Um, Adrian Brody is one of my favorite actors, actually. Really? Mm-hmm. I, really I really like him. And I just thought the cra- the cast was great. And Shorsha Ronan, amazing. Um, it kind of had, like, a Wes Anderson vibe. Oh, very much to so. It. Like, uh-huh very much like the set design and some of the camera angles and camera movements they did um gave me strong Wes Anderson vibes for Mm -hmm. sure um I loved how meta it is it just kept getting more and more meta and because at first I'm like oh that's a little meta and then they doubled down on it I'm like wow that's really meta and so um there's a scene where the screen or no the the stage writer so you have the stage the playwright who wrote the play based on the Agatha Christie book. And then you have, you know, the Hollywood director that's trying to adapt it for the screen. Mm -hmm. And so they're at the playwright's house and he's commenting on how the use of flashbacks is lazy storytelling. But then when he's giving his account of what happened, of course they use flashbacks and it's very tongue in cheek. Cause then he's like, like, you know, flashbacks are flashbacks are so lazy. Like next thing you know, you're gonna have like a three weeks later, and then it was like three weeks later. <laughs> yes, I loved it. I thought it was very silly. That was probably my favorite part, and the fact that they like called it out was just the best. And I feel like there was a little bit breaking of the fourth wall and like kind of talking to the audience. Did you like that? I I think I did because I okay because. So I really like movies that take, or that portray theater, mm-hmm. but like in kind of a theatrical, like authentic way that theater is, mm-hmm. but then they they really try to make that come across on the screen, which is very difficult to do, mm-hmm. and and I, I think they pulled it off. I, I think they did, um, and especially with the narration, because okay. it's like Kaepernick is narrating it a lot and he even though he gets killed off at the start of it he's definitely a recurring character throughout the movie Mm -hmm. and 
it's like he's he's talking to you. Kind of like if you're at if you go see a play, like they're they're talking, they're breaking the fourth wall and they're talking to the audience. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I I like it. <laughs> I like it too. I will say, so I didn't love it in this. I really liked uh, Kaepernick's narration, and I thought it made sense for him to break the fourth wall. Mm-hmm. I think I I didn't like other characters breaking the fourth wall. Who else broke the fourth wall? It happens at the end. Okay. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. I okay. I thought I didn't mind that because it was a call. It was a bookend to me because Mousetrap mm. does it and they kind of show it on stage happening and then that's how they ended it. I know that's the intention. I just think it really it took me out of it quite a bit. I think it. Yeah. I don't know. I I liked the when I notice it. That's when I think it's a little too much. Yeah. At least for me. But I, I enjoyed the narration of the rest of it because I thought it was silly and goofy and moved the story along. And it was very intentional in creating juxtaposition over and over and over and over again. Okay. Right? Like, yeah, the three weeks later. Mm-hmm. It was like, okay, so we're talking about this and then this thing is happening. Yeah. You know? So it's almost like the players aren't in control of the play. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, very fun. Yeah. And I, I love stage theater that's put on screen in, like, a very loving way. And that this absolutely does that. Mm-hmm. Um, I also know... Okay, so Richard Attenborough mm-hmm. is a character in this film. He plays the detective in The Mousetrap, the actor. Mm-hmm. And Richard Attenborough... The, premiered the role in real life like in, the real in person. 1952 yeah mm-hmm. and Richard mm-hmm. Attenborough so you might know him from Jurassic Park mm-hmm. and you know Miracle on 34th Street like he's this very prominent prominent actor with this career so I love that they portrayed young um Richard Attenborough in this in it yeah I liked that too and the the female lead too I forget her name but she is also um, like a, a real actress. So these are based on real people. Agatha Christie is in this. She's a real right. person. But it mixes real real people with fictional characters too. Yeah. And it kind of feels like that. It feels almost like a storybook retelling. Like these are very bunch characters, mm-hmm. character actors too. But I thought they did a really good job of creating this almost like the slightly fantastical world because of the way that they did the storytelling, the kind of story that it is. And it's very, it's like, I don't know if sweet is the right word, but it made me feel good. Mm-hmm. Like, watching it, I felt very much it, I don't know if, like, at peace is the right way of putting it. But it wasn't edgy. It wasn't gritty. I think that's the difference it's between... It's not full of, like, suspense. Like No. It's just kind of... It's quirky. Yeah. It's quirky throughout, which I think plays to... I had the same thought that it had a very much... Very much a Wes Anderson feel, but it's less edgy. Mm-hmm. It's much less edgy than a Wes Anderson. So... I would agree with that. It was it was missing something. I'm not sure what the something was. Mm. You know? Mm-hmm. I think maybe there was an element of suspense that would have been... Uh, beneficial to it. Yeah. I think I didn't love the inspector's character. I thought it felt a little flat 
in some ways. It, it showed some depth and then you just didn't quite get there. And I think in on the other side of that, you have uh, Saoirse Ronan's character. And she's like a, uh, a widow, a, well, a war widow, and has two kids. Mm-hmm. And that was really interesting. And we didn't get much of that. You get like a little bit of a glimpse. And so you start to understand her a little more. But mm-hmm. then it's like the heart of it was just missing just a teeny, teeny bit. Hmm. I wish their relationship was a little more fleshed out, maybe. Maybe yeah. that's what I wanted. But Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. It's a short movie, so it's only 90 minutes. Yeah. Um, which I, I appreciated. Me too. <laughs> um, I, I would be really interested to read the script, to actually like read the screenplay and see how it was written for the screen how complicated you know like talking of because they had a lot of split screen moments mm-hmm. like with the editing the editing was really complex mm-hmm. and i want to know if that was like written out and i want to say there were shots where someone was walking forward or no the camera was in front going backwards as people are walking towards the camera and then there's a split screen of the camera behind them Mm -hmm. following them through the backstage and that was really like unique and almost kind of off-putting because I was like oh my god is someone behind them like someone's following them like it's a lot to look at yeah Mm -hmm. and they did that kind of like those inverse shots Mm -hmm. and like they're these like tracking shots and they did like these split screen edits and yeah Yeah. a lot of inverse motion too that's Mm -hmm. why I I like the split screen quite a bit in this because there was movement almost always So it wasn't just a still, like, oh, and now we're bumping over. So it was really creative in the way it showed it. Yeah, I wonder how much of that came ahead of time Mm -hmm. and how much they decided. Not after the fact, obviously, you would have to plan that out. But yeah, that's super interesting. Yeah, I want to, yeah, I feel like this script would be interesting to read. Like, especially with the blocking and the direction, like the stage direction. Well, I even think just the fact that you are writing about a play inside of a movie, that would be pretty complicated. Like the way that you would have to write it out would be have to be so clear and concise mm-hmm. in what you're, which thing you're talking about, mm-hmm. right? Like, I don't know. I just think that would be wild. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. I, I, I really enjoyed watching it. I would definitely watch it again. Aww. I would recommend it for sure. I'm glad you liked it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So my movie is Legend, and not to be confused with the 1985 Ridley Scott fantasy film of the same name. Uh, this is a 2015 biographical crime thriller about the infamous Cray twins, who were prominent gangster gangsters in London during the 1960s. Written and directed by Brian. Helgeland, I think I'm saying that right. Uh, The film is based on John Pearson's book, The Profession of Violence, The Rise and Fall of the Cray Twins, which details their career and uh, the relationship that bound them together and follows their gruesome career to the, um, until their life imprisonment in 1969. So it stars Tom Hardy in dual roles as Ronnie and Reggie Cray, um, as well as Emily Browning, David Thewlis, Christopher 
Eccleston, Paul Bettany, Tara Fitzgerald, and Tara Taryn Egerton. So the movie kicks off with the Cray twins pretty much well into their criminal career in the East End of London. Reggie is a former boxer and he's an important part of the criminal underground in London. And his twin brother, Ronnie, is locked up in a psychiatric hospital for paranoid schizophrenia. So Reggie uses threats and intimidation to get him, so Ronnie, his brother, released with a clean bill of health. They kind of bribe and intimidate people to to let him out. So the twins reunite to control a large portion of London's criminal underworld, which includes operating a local nightclub that they gained control over by using extortion and violence. They also gain even more power when a rival gang gets busted by Scotland Yard in the south of London. So then we have Reggie who meets Francis, who's his driver's sister, and they start dating and eventually get married. And when Reggie goes to prison for a previous crime, she makes him swear that he will go straight so that they can start a life together. However, Reggie can't leave his life of crime and is very committed and loyal to his brother, Ronnie. And Ronnie is this kind of loose, cannon, highly volatile type person. and He gets into all sorts of trouble that then Reggie has to fix. They end up getting involved with the American Mafia, who want to move into London's casino market, and the craze become very successful and well-established in London's criminal underground, making money from gambling profits, nightclub ownership, and providing protection. So meanwhile, Francis becomes depressed and realizes that Reggie will never leave the business or his brother. And as the craze get deeper and deeper into crime and murder, Scotland Yard opens a full investigation into the craze and their criminal activity. And I don't want to give much more away, so I'll leave it there for now. Um, So the film has received average reviews, with the consensus being, and I love this, so... As a gangster biopic, Legend is deeply flawed, but a show, but as a showcase for Tom Hardy in a dual role, no less, it just about lives up to the title. So basically, like, Tom Hardy, like, his acting in this is really phenomenal. Um, oh, yeah. It's very unique roles for him playing these twin brothers. And, um, but yeah, as, like, a gangster biopic, I think what you would expect watching it it doesn't necessarily live up to that expectation Mm, yeah the storytelling is different for sure and I think a part of that kind of I feel like it tips you off the with the narration like right away it kind of tips you off that this is going to be a little different than maybe what you're expecting yeah that was just me yeah the so the film definitely takes liberties with like the story um because it's based on like a biography about them and according to people who were close to the craze because this just happened in the 60s like people are still alive today that knew them Mm -hmm. um so according to people who were close to the craze have kind of commented about some of the fabrications of the film Hmm. so for instance 
Francis and Reggie were only married for eight months, and the movie really puts most of the focus and plot around their relationship. So a lot happens during their relationship. Mm-hmm. Whereas in real life, they were only married for eight months, and they were criminally active. <laughs> in London for almost, I think, a decade. So another liberty that the film took is that, so Ronnie, who was homosexual, is very open about it in the movie. Um, Whereas in real life, he was pretty private. So it was well known within his circle of acquaintances and those who knew him, um, I guess, shared that he did come out to his two brothers and, and mother Um, He was often seen with attractive young men, which everyone understood to be his lovers, but it was not openly discussed the way it is in the film. Mm. Which makes sense, because it was London in the 60s. Right. It was a bold choice to make that happen, but I think it was a choice, a a 2015 choice. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I I think so. Yeah. That, That makes sense to me. So what what were you, your thoughts on it, Riley? I loved this movie. I think it might be one of my new favorites, actually. Really? Really. I thought it was so funny. The writing was incredible. Like, incredible. The delivery was great, obviously. But the writing really stood out to me. The way that I think it encompassed what... It was, it was like poetry, mm-hmm. like gangster poetry, but poetry. And it was so quick, mm-hmm. so quick-witted. And the presentation, Tom Hardy's presentation was just magnificent because the two, Reggie and, and Ronnie, are very different. He plays two very different people. Yeah. And not in physically. Like his physical acting, too, was incredible because you knew immediately that I mean he's identical obviously it's the same person yeah and he had a little help obviously there were some prosthetics and things that were involved but he really like the his gait was different so like the way he walked was different Mm -hmm. the way he talked was incredibly different Mm -hmm. and the way that he interacted with people so so different and of course he's playing this character I think you know, Ron's character has some disabilities. And so that definitely shines through. But then that's another layer of challenge, right? I think that being someone that doesn't have a disability, playing someone with a disability, Mm -hmm. especially because, I mean, Ronnie's disability is mental. It's not physical. So just as a disclaimer. And so kind of getting into the mind of this person and I believed that his character believed what he was saying. And I just thought that was incredible. I and and again the writing of his dialogue was so beautiful. What he said was weird and off-putting, but you also kind of got what he was getting getting mm-hmm. at throughout the whole thing. And I actually I enjoyed all of the <laughs> kind of the secondary characters too. I thought were really interesting. You got little bits of each person, but they really, I think, captured that idea of, you know, like, this is a family. Like, these are all people that give to one another. And also the weird, the weird juxtaposition between that and 
the violence that ensues. Mm. Because I, I found myself feeling like every time there was something pretty violent that happened, it was a shock. And, I, and in ways, it was even shocking to the, the people involved, right? Our characters, they're like, oh, man, well, that wasn't very good. You know, and the way they handled it, not great. I wouldn't say they're of upstanding moral um, caliber <laughs> or something, but it just shows you the complexities of what they were dealing with. Mm-hmm. And I actually think that the relationship with uh, Reggie and Francis, even though, so they, with people saying it was, they were only married for eight months, it kind of felt like this was all combined it was like you were coming in sort of at the end of their reign yeah and it escalates and 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 it escalated very intentional well in the movie intentionally but you see that happening Mm -hmm. pretty clearly and it's a long movie also like it's like a two hour 15 minute something like that yeah something like that it's a little over two hours it's a longer movie for sure yeah um and I told you at, <laughs> I paused it because I was like, oh, I'm getting kind of tired. Let me see how much le- is left of this so I can figure out if I'm going to bed or not. And there's still 40 minutes left and I thought it was almost ending. So I was like, oh, wow. Oh, there's so much more to go. And it got really interesting. <laughs> it's like the whole thing just keeps you hooked. I loved it. I yeah. thought it was so well done. Well, good. I'm very glad you liked it. I, I wasn't sure what you would think about it, honestly. Really? Um, yeah. But I thought it was really well executed it is very violent but yeah it's weird to say but it's also like funny like there's very like humorous like funny parts to it Mm -hmm. and a lot of that is dialogue like really like witty dialogue Mm -hmm. yeah so some fun facts is um so tom hardy had 35 shooting days in which he played both brothers on the same day Whoa. So, I know. So, he would film the scenes with the brother who had the most dialogue first and then go back into hair and makeup to be transformed into the other brother. That's crazy. I know. Oh, I can't even imagine having to, like, switch back and forth like that. And the way you shoot a movie, it's not... I always, like, in my mind, it's like, oh, yeah, they go scene by scene, but they don't. It's not no, chronological. It's all out of order. Right. So, you're... Not only is it out of order, but you're playing two different characters mm-hmm. out of order. And yeah, you're right. Like, they're, the physicality between the two brothers is obvious. Like, he changes his body, mm-hmm. like, depending on which one he's portraying. He so. can't forget, <laughs> you know, he can't forget how to stand or something, you know. Yeah. Ooh, crazy. Yeah. It's, it's fascinating. Yeah, Tom Hardy is very impressive. So... Um, Reggie and Francis's first visit to the club, so in the movie, um, at the start, they own and operate a club, like, in the East End, and Reggie takes Francis there on a date, and that scene was so fascinating, like, that, it really hooked me into the film, so it's this continuous shot that's five minutes and 40 seconds, and it just doesn't stop. Mm-hmm. And like he he walks into the to the club and he greets everyone and then they go to their table and it's a date and then he gets pulled away and he goes into like 
are kind of around the corner. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, it's this, like, crime business kind of thing. Yeah, kind of on the side, like he's going to deal with somebody. Yeah. Yeah, and then he takes care of that, which is violent, and, and then he goes back around the corner, and he, you know, joins Francis back at the, you know, at their table. And it's just this ingenious scene that was just ex- executed, like, perfectly mm. yeah it was beautiful and then there the the framing that you end on with the two of them together is very cute like it's very romantic mm-hmm. and so I think that's why it probably when you say it's not the gangster movie you'd expect it's because I mean it is romance and Francis's character is narrating mm-hmm. so it's through her lens, which is one of love for mm-hmm. this person who does some bad stuff. Yeah. It's really interesting. Yeah. So the film was shot almost entirely on location and very few sets were used. So they filmed in London and they used, you know, pubs and kind of transformed them to these, you know, 1960s era establishments and um, there's a lot of, like, street scenes with, like, the old cars, and it just, it was all believable. So I love that they filmed on location, and, like, there was probably a lot of work that went in to finding, you know, the extras and putting them in, you know, the 1960s era costumes, and I just, I love that type of stuff. hmm Yeah, the costuming was great, and just the, yeah, the sets themselves, all the yeah, it was oh, the cars. I love the cars. Mm-hmm. Oh, the cars on this are so fun. They are. So I thought this was really interesting. So the film got a green light mostly because an American directed. So there was a movie in 1990 called The Craze. And so craze as in K-R-A-Y-S. <laughs> not like cra- not, crazy. Yeah. Not, not the craze. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and it, it had been very British in tone. Hmm. And apparently, so working title, the studio wanted this film to feel like an American gangster film that just happened to be set in 1960s London. Um, and so the director, he wrote L.A. Confidential, and I guess he directed Payback. Hmm. Um, and so I thought that was kind of interesting because I think this did do well, like, especially in the awards circuit, like just, I don't know, it's just interesting when you consider the audience, like I, it kind of made me wonder if they wanted a broader appealing movie that would appeal to people outside of the UK. Cause not a lot of people know the story of the Cray twins. Mm-hmm. It's not like Al Capone or like everyone knows these mm-hmm. like, you know, the mafia and stuff like, yeah. Huh, that is really interesting that that's the direction. Well, and that's funny, too, because they do talk about the mafia and kind of the difference between the American gangsters and these London gangsters. So I don't, yeah, that's that's just odd to me. I don't know, mm-hmm. because I, I would think I would be very, um, or I'd be a little more, what's the word? I'd feel ownership of the story if that's where, it, like, if this was part of my history of where where I live and who I am then I would want it done by people who are connected to it in some way Mm -hmm. mostly 
locally, right? Yeah. That's just... hmm. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting. Um, And so the director, Brian Hegeland, uh, first learned of the Cray twins when he was working on um, an aborted biopic, so something that never... A project that never happened, um, about Led Zeppelin. So he had been accompanying Jimmy Page and Robert Plant on on a world tour when he noticed that one of their entourage was missing a finger. When he asked how he lost his finger, he was told that the craze had cut it off. And so intrigued, uh, Hegelin set out to find out more about the notorious gangsters. So Holy shit! I love that oh he gosh. found this kind of story while like researching an entirely different, like a movie that was supposed to be about Led Zeppelin. I want to know more about this crew member yeah. with the missing finger. Like how? What did he do? Was he in the movie? Yeah. <laughs> I was so curious. I thought that was fascinating because then I really thought about like, oh, like 1960s London. Like you would have like David Bowie and yeah, like Led Zeppelin, Pink Floyd, like. Whoa. And what then, a weird. Yeah. And I then didn't you have this crime. Think of that gangsters. crossover. Oh, yeah. It just feels so separate to me because they're very different worlds. Mm-hmm. Right. And especially the way that we, I mean, because we've only seen that in, in film and TV, so, or in music, but, you know, the only true perspective we have is one that other people give us, Mm -hmm. and we're only seeing, you know, music in a very isolated way, or this gangster movie in an isolated way, so you're Mm -hmm. only getting these little bits of what makes up a whole community and culture. Yeah, and even, like, Monty Python would have been super active in the 60s in London, you know, the BBC and stuff. And then you got these, like, the Cray twins just, like, doing this, like, crazy, like, crime. Running around cutting people's fingers off. Holy cow. Yeah, so I thought that was fascinating. I was like, I love that. That's so interesting. What a cool story. I, yeah, I love, I love crime. I love a good crime story. I really do. It's just so interesting, like yeah. how you get into it and the, I think the, um, yeah, the danger of it and the, I, it's just fascinating seeing something that isn't a part of your life, right? Mm-hmm. But but that existed. That was actually real. You yeah, know? and I think it's even better when it's based on a true story. Mm, yeah, always, 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 because. Otherwise, you get sort of a, yeah, like a whodunit. And that's, it follows its tropes and it's fun and it's mm-hmm. silly. But, you know, when you're looking at, I, I love true crime, like podcasts and stories. Yeah. And I think that's been, you know, something that has really caught the, the ear of a lot of people recently in the past couple of years, too. Mm-hmm. But the most fascinating stories are the ones that have, like, historical context to them, especially like attached to an era that I'm unfamiliar with. Mm-hmm. I think partially because it is probably kind of messed up to say, but the distance and time makes me less sad about it. Oh, yeah. Right? Like if, you know, I don't want to glorify someone's death <laughs> or a murderer because, you know, in 2020, some girl was kidnapped and all these horrible things happened. That does not bring me entertainment. That just makes me very sad. Yeah. But learning of a crime ring, a group of people that did horrible things, obviously, 
but also, you know, justice was served. They were caught. They went to jail. You know, yeah, they clearly basically died in jail. They, I mean, yeah, they yeah. both spent their entire life. Well, didn't Ron? So uh, well, he went to a mental facility, but it was like under lockdown. Oh yeah, right? so like, yeah, so Ronnie, yeah, went to a yeah. Yeah. A mental hospital. Yeah, like a psych ward, basically, and, and died there. Yeah, and then, yeah, Reggie went to Broadmoor, which is a very famous London, or I'm not sure where it is in the mm-hmm. UK, but it's a very prominent prison that mm-hmm. has, like, most of their really heinous criminals. Baddest of the bad. Yeah. 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 Well, and then he and yeah, then dies he, of cancer. Yeah, he you was, know. like, released like five days before he died like a couple weeks before he died but because i think he got cancer and they pretty much knew he was gonna gonna die Mm -hmm. so they did release him and he was out for a couple weeks and then he passed away but the movie said that happened in two so at the end they give you like a little bit of like a bit of the story of what happened next but you know they said in i think yeah reggie passed away in like 2000 Mm -hmm. which feels very very close you know it's like we were alive in 2000s like this yeah like you were saying it's really not that long ago it was not that long ago what a good film i i think we both had really good picks this time i think yeah very different but both really intriguing Mm -hmm. yeah they were both set around the same time Right. This was like 1952, and then Legend was like the 1960s, 1960s. Mm-hmm. and one was in the east end of London, and the other was in like the west end of London. So, I, yeah, I think I think both of our movies were very good picks, and I would recommend them both. Yeah, me too. Fun for for both of us to have uh, films we hadn't watched before. So, yes. honest opinions, very good. Definitely recommend. Well, thank you so much for listening. Uh, We always appreciate it. If you haven't already, go ahead and uh, subscribe to the podcast. Uh, You can also follow us on social media. We are on Instagram at Happy Hour Film Club. We post about our new episodes and we'll also post uh, cocktail recipes. So that's always a good thing to... I guess have on your feed and you'll know when we release new episodes and also if you could leave us a review we love reviews if you could write us one that would be so awesome because it makes us more relevant and more um I guess searchable on all the podcast platforms so that is always really really helpful and we always appreciate getting feedback and hearing from from you all so let us know what you think yeah cheers guys thanks for listening bye